Hey there, everybody. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us again today. We're honored to have you here as we continue to celebrate one year of doing Todd Versations and all the tomfoolery we're up to. Speaking of tomfoolery, that was kind of a, an interesting tie-in just out of the top of my head. We have a guest today that I am beyond honored to spend some time with. If you know who he is, then you already know. If you don't know who he is, be prepared, get your mind open, be ready to listen, because over the past almost 40 years, not much has happened that this man has not had a hand in some way, somehow in making this industry grow that we all love so much. He is a pioneer of conversation and thought and change. He's an amazing person. He's the man, the myth, the legend. Please, everybody, give it up and hang out with us as I talk with Tom Stenzel. Welcome, sir. Hey, Todd. Thanks so much. It's fantastic to be here with you. Uh, you're far too kind with that introduction. Uh, it's my honor and privilege to be on with you. So, so thanks for right. having me. It's oh, thank you. That means a lot to me. I really does. You know, I have we have pretty much been tenured together since I started back in you know the late. I was you know in in the mid '80s getting going. You started going a little bit after that. I mean, but we have walked the same path and watched this industry grow together. Me from my side of it on the organic deal and you trying to bring it along and cultivate it and working with everybody else. It's been an amazing journey. And I'm excited you got a new shingle out in the front door, which we're going to talk about a little bit with the Stenzel Group. We'll get into that a little bit and what you've been up to. And, and I'm excited to ask you a bunch of questions about what's going on today, what your thoughts are, where this industry's going, consumption, ag tech, all this fun stuff that we get and deal with every day in the media. That's I think great. it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So for the three people out there in the world who don't know who you are, could you be so kind and, and just give everybody a little bit of a snippet of your journey in bio oh, so they know who uh, Mr. Tom Sizzle is? Because I'm sitting like a, I'm like a fanboy right now. I'm giddy <laughs> like a fanboy. Yeah, yeah. You, you can let go of that now. It's okay. But um, <laughs> I tell you what, uh, this produce journey, as you described it, has just been marvelous for me as well. I, I started my produce career in 1993. So you're right a little bit later, but I'd been in the food industry before. I'd worked for processed food trade associations here in Washington, D.C., but I got that call from the search committee at United Fresh Fruit and Vegetable Association, what yeah. I come to do for a CEO. And uh, I said, yeah, that sounds kind of interesting. You know, you figure these things five years, whatever, then you move on. And here I am 30 years <laughs> later. Uh, there's no way once you dive into fresh produce that it, it lets you go. Um, this has just been such a marvelous ride. Uh, so I've been CEO of United Fresh uh, for those almost 30 years. Yeah. Uh, recently, uh, as many of your viewers know and, and listeners, uh, we brought together the United Fresh team and the Produce Marketing Association team, two you know, really great trade associations that had been uh, sometimes competitors, uh, but also serving the same uh, uh, industry. Yeah. Uh, we were finally able to bring that together. I served as co-CEO with Kathy Burns uh, over the past year or so, but I finally stepped aside. And uh, But again, I can't get out of produce. So uh, I did start my own consulting business, um, similar to what you're doing perhaps, but working with produce clients, um, I, I never intend to stop. You can't. You're right. It's addicting. And everybody says the same thing. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know. I really don't. And, and maybe I need to start asking these questions from others. I don't know another industry where people are so connected. And I think it's, you know, a lot of it, we play to people's morals and values. So it's very connected to people. Um, it's, it's not like paper towels. It's an experience to go buy a peach. Um, but we all live in the same highly perishable, crazy world that when it rains, chaos, you know, is abound. All these things. And I think it's some kind of weird 
you know, galactic connection that we all have. Yeah, there's something about it, Todd, that when I first started that amazed me, you know, it's it's competitive. It's highly competitive. But For at sure. the same time, competitors help each other every day. You know, somebody's short on product, you get it from the your competitor. Uh, yeah. There are cooperative agreements uh, on a handshake. Uh, it's such a personal business. Uh, you know, I sometimes wonder as we become more corporate over time, as, as more private equities coming into the industry, will that change? So far, it hasn't. Uh, we've seen a lot more investment come in, but um, I think we're retaining that um, that family feel or at least that personal feel uh, that's really defines produce sector. Yeah, good point. I love the fit. You're right. It is the family feel. It's weird. It's 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 just it's super cool. It really is. So I, before we get going into stuff, I've, I've got to ask this question, and this is a 35,000 footer. This is a tough one. It's going to be a tough one for you to answer because I, you know, and I've, I've thought about this question my, myself, you know, trying to evaluate my tenure and, you know, like, you know, looking at the moments that you would change, looking at the moments that were impactful, looking at the moments that sucked, you know, kind of going back through just prioritizing some of my own trajectory. I mean, as I said in the beginning, you're a legend, right? So let's just get it back on the table. I'm going to keep honoring you in the way you deserve to be honored. You've done so much for this business. Could you actually pick just one thing that you think was the biggest one thing in your career when you look back and go, you know, yes, my kids, yeah. you always see the kids get number one, right? But that's not a career question. But, you know, is there one thing that, that, that you've seen that just absolutely you're probably the proudest of? Well, you had to ask for just one, but I'm going to know. I'm going to give you two anyway. Good, safer. Uh, They're kind of two sides of the same coin. Uh, The first is food safety. Uh, 30 years ago, our produce industry didn't even use those terms. Uh, You remember back to the the original spinach crisis uh, in Salinas, where the government shut down the entire spinach industry for three months, uh, trying to figure out what's going on. Turns out it was one day, one shift in one processing plant. That was it. There is no more contamination than that. But I was on a phone call with uh, FDA and the press. And when they said, okay, it's time to go back and and start the business again. And the reporter asked the FDA person, is it safe? So you're telling me it's safe again to eat spinach? And the FDA said, well, we don't really know. I guess it's as safe as it ever was. And that was a watershed moment for me that said, wow. government's got a responsibility here. So as an association, we worked pretty hard to develop food safety protocols, good agricultural practices, take it to the government, take it to Congress. Uh, not everybody loves regulation, but in this case, we needed to make sure that the government was vouching for the processing, the safety of our products, instead of just saying, well, buyer beware. Uh, it's not perfect but uh, we've moved in the right direction. The other thing that I do have to talk about, the other side of that is the nutrition work. Uh, Increasing consumption of fruits and vegetables for kids, people in need. uh, And the last thing you want is them to be scared of eating it. So a lot of our policy work really transformed the school lunch program, uh, the WIC program. We're now knee deep in the next farm bill trying to work on getting SNAP, the uh, food stamp program changed to include more fruits and vegetables. So those are really the two things I'd say are, are most important in, in the career I've had. I love it. Well, those are two pretty damn good ones. <laughs> you know, those are pretty powerful. And, you know, food, you're, you're right. I, I can remember food safety was like, it just didn't exist. I mean, you used to go into the early sheds and the early, even the early start of the salad business, 
They'd be open-walled sheds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> dogs walking. I mean, no, people would be nothing you'd see today. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, if I wouldn't have seen it, I wouldn't believe it, but it's all true. Yeah. And then you touch on a, you know, a passion of mine and something that we believe in. We talk about every opportunity. And you know, we're going to talk about it more depth coming up because it's 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 something I believe in. And that's a conversation around consumption. Um, we have to continue that conversation. And I'm going to get deeper in some thoughts on that. But before we go there, I think it's important that I want to make sure we give ample time and everybody understand. What are you up to now? Let's talk about the Stenzel Group real quick. Let's get that framed up for everybody and what's your concentration and your focus and everything else. And then be ready because they're coming. I got a hundred plus million questions for you. Guarantee it. All right. Well, great, Todd. Thanks. Uh, here's the commercial, everybody. Go. Uh, started my consulting group, the Stenzel Group. Uh, really want to stay involved in produce, working with individual companies, associations. Uh, one of the things I found, it's only been a couple months now since I officially retired from the association, but it's kind of fun to pick and choose your clients. Um, it's great when they come to you, but sometimes you you say, well, maybe that's not the issue I really want to work on. So after 30 years of doing everything and um, having thousands of bosses, it's kind of nice to uh, work with those companies that I believe in personally and really can help. Uh, so that's pretty much the role right now. It's widespread. I'm doing some work with seed companies. I'm doing some work with growers, greenhouse growers, uh, salad uh, maker, a grab and go salad. Uh, so kind of fun stuff that I'm working yeah. on. Good. It's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, it, it, you, you unlock that, you unlock that big brain of all the stuff that you know. There's a lot of companies out there that can benefit from walking a path with you. And I commend you for doing it. I'm glad you're doing it. The industry needs you. You know, and like to your point, make it fun. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Go go make it all fun. And your motivation, your passion, you know, everything just will flow out of you without any reservation or hesitation. So keep it up. I love it. Appreciate all it. right. We got the commercial. We got everybody hip. They need to get out there. Get on it. Get reach out to Tom and get some help if you need it because he's available and you're not going to go wrong with that. You're not going to go wrong. All so right. Ask a me a hard question now. I mean, we're going now. I'm going to talk <laughs> about consumption. Um, and, and I ask people this question all the time and I like to, and I think it's a really neat one to get some, some conversation started. So what's the phrase increasing consumption by eliminating food waste mean to you? Thanks for joining the Todd Versation. And now a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Abby Pryor, Chief Commercial Officer at Bright Farms. On behalf of all the Bright Farmers across our great country, thanks for listening to Todd Versations and Todd Bits. At Bright Farms, we care about the health of our planet and its people. Our mission is to give more people access to the freshest, tastiest, cleanest, and most responsibly grown salads available. We grow our salads by harnessing the power of the sun in our advanced greenhouses located close to your grocery stores. Our salads are delivered in as little as 24 hours after harvest, so every Bright Farm salad you buy is fresh, tasty, and sustainably grown. It's a big job looking out for the health of the people on the planet, but we're up for it. So give one of our Bright Farm salads a try today and become a part of our Bright Farms family. Thanks so much. We hear a lot about food waste these days. It's a critical issue. It's an important issue. You know where the major source of food waste is? It's at the consumer level. You know, yeah. it, it's post-sale, post-retail. Uh, so getting consumption up instead of having you know food go bad, uh, that's a real key part of it. Uh, shelf life in our industry is extremely important. Uh, we can't have product that uh, spoils too quickly. You know, we have massive distribution chains, as you know, and, and your, your viewers that we have to go from California to New York on a truck and get it 
through a warehouse and distribution center and finally into a retail shelf. Man, you know, that's a process. But how do we maintain the freshness, the quality? I think that is as big a part of the food waste story as anything. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that one of the things that that to me that we have to be cognizant of is that we need to continue to always make an experience. You know, you, you can't put a product, and I'll pick on a peach because I said it earlier, I guess it's stuck in my head, but you can't put a peach out there that just tastes like crap, right? Well, just because it's chips, that's great. But nobody's going to go back for a second time. And when you have children involved and they're going to eat a peach, right? I mean, every, you know, let's be honest. I think most people love peaches. Uh, it becomes a problem. And I think we have to be cognizant of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the quality to the consumer, you know, if we could get consistent quality every time, every taste, uh, we'd be so far ahead of where we are today. You think about the fast food restaurants, no matter where you are in the country, you go in and you buy that hamburger, it tastes the same. Yeah. And you know what to expect. Some people like it, some people don't. But you know exactly what eating experience you're going to get. We don't have that. Um, it's it's an amazing thing. I, I was in uh, a farm, a blueberry farm, not too long ago, and they were doing taste tests, maybe 10 different varieties of blueberries. And from the most sour to the most sweet, it was this huge differential. And I said, yeah. so how can you deliver these to the consumer every day instead of it? Sometimes these, sometimes those. But that's really our challenge as an industry. How do we get the highest quality, best tasting fruit and veg out to our people? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, one of the things that, I, that I've been talking about and, and been paying attention to is, is the economy, obviously, as we all have, but looking back at the past downturn economy and its effects on fruit and vegetables. And we've been given a really unique opportunity with COVID. I mean, amongst all the crap you want to say and all the negativity, there are some things that come out of it that I think directly have been in a positive light to the fruit and vegetable industry. One of which is people being more at home, eating more food at home, increasing the consumption, everything else. But one of the things that, that happens when a downturn economy comes, people start to rationalize, make decisions, right? Fruit and vegetables have a tendency now to start to decrease in consumption in, in some ways with folks, right? And it becomes a little concerning. So one of the areas that, I'm, that, that I keep talking and I think is worth conversation about is fighting the balance between brand awareness and consumption to where brands are more about, hey, this is, you know, Bob's blueberry and Bob's blueberry, blah, 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 as opposed to, hey, eating blueberries does this, I'm Bob. And I think it becomes really, to me, I'm, I'm concerned that we lose some of that momentum in a downturn economy that we gain because we only start focusing back on Bob's blueberries and not blueberries as a whole and what it does for your body. So do you feel that we have the right balance between, you know, driving brand awareness and consumption at yeah, that's an interesting question, Todd. I I like brands, and I'll for sure about that. I think brands capture consumer imagination. Um, if you look back at what are the biggest brands in produce, it's Chiquita, Dole, Del Monte. Why? It was the advertising campaigns from thirty years, forty, fifty yeah. years. Um, you know, people still know the Chiquita song, and there's no advertising for it anymore. Mm -hmm. But it captures the imagination. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. One of my first jobs long before produce, I actually worked for the soft drink industry. So I worked for the National Soft Drink Association. And one of the, the things there about was the Coke and Pepsi, the Cola Wars. Yeah. They loved the Cola Wars because the more they battled each other as brands, the more the category would, would grow itself. So in hmm. some sense, I don't think brands take away from growing categories. 
we in the produce industry have great commodity groups. So the Table Grape Commission, sure. the Blueberry uh, Association, there are people who are focused, they're doing the research on health, nutrition, you know, the benefits of blueberries or, or mm-hmm. whatever. And, and I think that's an important part of it. But I do think brands can help carry that message to the consumer in a way that maybe generic doesn't. Fair. All right. That's fair. I like it. What do you think, though, we, we know, thinking about the work that you've done, and I'll go back kind of to the question I threw at you kind of in the beginning, but what are some of the best lessons that you think you've learned in ways to increase consumption? Mm. Quality, um, the quality of the eating experience. Yeah. I'll tell you one of the ways it's not is telling people you need to eat more. Um, mm. When I started, we had just gotten the five-a-day program going, and it had legs. It it was effective in the early days. But I came to understand that uh, our grandparents, our grandma taught us, eat your fruits and vegetables. There are very few people in the country who don't know you're supposed to eat more fruits and vegetables. It's the motivating factor. It's the availability. One of the things we did in school lunch, and, and you'll remember this, Uh, we actually embrace the idea of putting salad bars in schools and letting the kids go through a line and choose different fruits or veg off that salad bar, making it available to them uh, front and center, letting them have their own choice. And we could see consumption go up in every single case. So I think availability, access, affordability is important. You know, you mentioned inflation earlier. It worries me. Um, We don't want to see our products priced at a level where people can't afford them. Um, you know, they're going to be the high-end shoppers who, who love their fruits and veg, but, you know, we've got a major share of this population that is economically challenged. So mm-hmm. we've got to also make sure that we're delivering uh, affordable uh, fruits and vegetables as well. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And I, th- I think that that's an interesting perspective that you throw because I'm not, I'm not always so sure. And I'm not trying to, 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 I'm not always so sure that we that we think about the consumer from pulling in in the G wagon to taking the bus to go buy groceries. I think we just look at them as you know, I just want to sell that grocery store all the grapes I can sell them. And I think that we're ch- I think we have to change some of that strategy a little bit. And you mentioned the economy, and I'd like to to touch on that a little bit with you. A, give me a little bit of thought about what you think tomorrow's whatever next week, whatever you want to call it economic outlook is going to be and kind of where we're heading. And I've got some questions I want to throw more about the economy and then the produce business as a whole. Yeah. I mean, I'm not an economist. Uh, If I were, I would predict something wrong anyway. Uh, I have no idea uh, where we're heading. I think you try to manage your way through times like this. Um, There's certainly higher cost at the grower level uh, of every input cost for sure. Transportation, uh, getting it to the retail food service level. You know, they have their own labor challenges at retail restaurants, not having adequate staff. Uh, So everybody's kind of in it together. That's, the biggest thing I think we can do to manage through that is the partnering between the supplier and the buyer. Um, instead of, you know, sometimes it's been a us against them relationship. Uh, we've got to work together through this period. Um, and that's going to be the way we have to pull through. Uh, will inflation subside at some point? Yes, inevitably. If you look at history, uh, it will. But whether it's, you know, next month or end of the year or after the election, you know, all those kind of questions come up. Yeah, well, I think it's going to, yeah. And I think if you look at what people are saying, it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's going to be a long process and that, you know, we're going to have to get back on track. And, you know, I mean, it, I think the only thing that sets 
I mean, the world's in the same boat, right? Every, every yeah. you know, oh, yeah. COVID made COVID made every country print money. So, you know, it, that's the part about it that I think is a little bit on. It's like, okay, if everybody's in the same boat, what does it really mean? Um, but, you know, when you think about the economy, and when we talk about it a little bit you know, and, and trying to find that scale between, again, the person rolling in the G-Wagon and somebody taking the bus to go buy groceries. So what concerns you about, you know, thinking about the economy itself as it relates to fruits and vegetables? And, and, the first, and we touched on consumption a little bit, but I want to think a little bit about maybe the retail perspective. What do you think the retailers need to be thinking about to keep that messaging, to keep the ball moving and to really embrace? Because I, I think sometimes too, and we've dealt with this in produce and I'm going to frame this up a little bit. I don't mean to ramble, but you know, always getting cheaper isn't necessarily the way to go, right? Cheap has a hidden cost. And so it, what do the retailers need to be thinking about in this environment in relation to, I think, and let's make it tied into consumption, keeping it going, keeping those numbers rocking. Yeah, there's no question, and and I don't want to imply that the the goal is to drive toward cheap because no. inevitably that's not. Um, you you raise a lot of questions in that that last comment. So let me go back to first of all the differential in the shopper uh, of the consumer who's going to a store on the bus uh, or walking or whatever uh, versus the higher end. Mm-hmm. When we got involved in nutrition policy 20, 25 years ago, I learned something that was staggering to me. Uh, The WIC program, the Women, Infants, and Children program, provides supplemental foods for uh, pregnant nursing mothers and children up to age five. 50% of all the babies born in America are to WIC eligible moms. 50%. Wow. And that's like the poverty level. Yeah. So, and that's been true for years and years now. So there is half of our population that is at risk for food security, nutrition security. Uh, so all of those programs, food stamps, WIC, school lunch, those are critical to getting fruits and vegetables to the people who really need them the most. Yeah. So I think that's something that we need to focus on. Uh, so often we just look at the, the high-end grocery and how fun it is. It's beautiful. Like going in right. great story. I mean, I love it too. But, um, but we've got to be able to serve all across the spectrum. Uh, the other thing you mentioned was COVID and, and its impact on fruit and veg. Uh, it's certainly been big in the supply chain. But I think the long-term biggest factor may be the positive one that you were implying. People realized that your health status, whether you are obese, whether you have diabetes, you are at much greater risk of serious consequences of COVID. And, you know, I'll go back to five a day. We started the five a day program because it was an anti-cancer message. Eat your fruits and vegetables. In 30 years from now, you'll be less likely to get cancer. Well, you know how that message goes over to a, a teenager or somebody in their 20s, right over their head. Right over their head. Who cares? But now, eat your fruits and vegetables, or you might die of COVID next year. It's a much more immediate consequence. Mm-hmm. And I think even for the politicians, we've been having conversations. They finally start to get it. All those healthcare costs that the country pays, uh, that government pays to support people. You get diabetes when you're 15 years old, you got a lifetime of medication that's paid for by the government. It sure makes a lot more sense to invest in getting them a healthy lifestyle, fruits and vegetables early in their their lives. So again, I'm really focused on that population a little bit. We've done so much in that policy arena in the last few years that um, it's really something I think is important. 
Oh, I 100% agree. And I think that, you know, and we talked about it earlier. I mean, you know, you're looking at how do we increase consumption? We got to start with the kids. We got to start with, you know, having conversations about school lunches, to your point. You know, I, I mean, I remember what school lunch was when I was a kid, right? It was a peaches pack in, uh, in, peach, in, the, in the concentrated sugar and, you know, the fish sticks that were absolutely universally designed, um, you know, and all that. And, and it's changing. And there's some great people doing some great work. I think, I think of Chef Ann Foundation, you know, yep. going in, trying to teach schools how to scratch cook for the same amount of dollars. And we've got to invest, I believe, downstream to your point to the youth if we want to make these positive changes, because food is medicine. We've proven it. COVID's, you know, COVID has proven what yep, it is. You, you take a look at how much just um, eating right is making a difference. You can see it. I, you can see it in the grocery store. It's really interesting to me when I go shopping now, seeing, um, and, I, and I'll throw a challenge out to our retail friends. What is the average length of time somebody's in the produce department today versus, you know, two, three years ago? Because they measure it, right? There's, they, they, they can see it on the cameras. They go through the motions. They understand what, where consumers are moving. I would think it's longer now because I see, to me, it seems like I see more fruit and veg going into people's carts um, because they've learned something. And I want to keep that going, and, and especially with families, because it's so incredibly important. You know, another one of the things that is difficult in the way we measure consumption, uh, we talk about uh, volume, uh, pounds of fruit and veg, but over the last 30 years, there's been a huge change in proportionality between different commodities. Um, you know, berries have skyrocketed, uh, potatoes have gone down. Right. So actually, you know, when you look at the pounds per capita, because we're eating fewer potatoes or some of the heavier crops, it looks like consumption hadn't gone up. But some of the individual crops, you know, have just, you know, gone through the ceiling. You know, avocado consumption, uh, mango consumption today. Uh, so many areas. It's one thing. It, it's really hard for us as a fruit and vegetable industry because we're really a combination of dozens of different industries uh, that are all yeah. kind of doing their own thing. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and I and I would be remiss if I don't bring up and this at least emphasize what you said that fifty percent of the babies born today are born into food insecurity. And think about that, guys. Think about what that means. That means day one. Yeah. Day one is a struggle. That's a heavy lift. That's a lot to digest. And I think in the business that we're in, I think we have some kind of responsibility to be leaning into that, recognizing that we can make changes. You know, this is my call to action, the produce, that we literally have the power to come together and change the health of this country. We have the tools. We have, you know, all the fruits and vegetables are the tools that you need in the tool belt, uh, you know, to, to be a part of that solution. And I think it's a really heavy thing that we need to remember that, Day one, you're born into food insecurity. That's heavy, man. That is heavy. No, it's critical. And, and I'll throw out another challenge to everyone. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, the next round of farm bill regulations coming out to Congress will be debating this over the next couple of years. The food stamp program is called SNAP now, Supplemental right. Nutrition Assistance Program. Nutrition isn't really part of the program. It's basically a cash transfer. And, and it's to people in need, of course. But it says, here, go buy food. It doesn't have any other parameters besides that. Where are the incentives for buying healthy food? Where are the restrictions, perhaps? Now, the WIC program gives you a specific group of foods, including fruits and vegetables, that people need. We need to start moving the SNAP program towards something more like that. I can't tell you the billions and billions of dollars that are spent, uh, SNAP dollars, for carbonated sugar-sweetened beverages. Yeah. Uh, the people that I worked for 40 years ago. 
it's it's really not a nutrition program as it is today. And we need to improve that. Oh, I agree. I, I, it's such an important program. In some ways, it, it almost has been treated like a Band-Aid and not as an opportunity to make change. Right. I mean, you know, and the program has an opportunity to affect people right at the very beginning. Again, that that 50 percent at day one. Right. It has an opportunity to affect change. And I find it shocking. I think people are going to find it shocking to your what you had to say that, yes, you can pretty much buy no alcohol, I believe. Right. No, no cigarettes, no alcohol. Right. But after that, that's about it. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think it's something we have to lean into. And, And I believe the industry needs to come alongside the work that's being done. And say, hey, you know, just think about it. If the thousand people that are in this business, however many there are, I don't even know. But if they all said, hey, we want to change this to increase fruit and vegetables, that would get attention if everybody just picked up the phone and called their their representative saying, how do we get involved in this? It would be huge. It'd be, and we're building customers for the future, kids. Let's think about the big picture, too. Yep. Right. And that's a lovely thing. That's a lovely thing to do good and to perpetuate your business forward right. to the next generation. I think it's great. I want to switch gears a little bit if we can and, and, and talk to you a little bit about uh, the emerging and the rise of ag technology out here in the world today, because innovation and change and investment dollars and all this stuff. I mean, you've got greenhouses popping up like Starbucks now on every street corner in a lot of ways. You've got people from all over the world looking. At this. I mean, there's so many cool things going on that people don't even know exist. I mean, there's from guys in their garages to guys in warehouses now. I mean, there's some really cool stuff. So talk to me a little bit about ag technology as a whole. It's a big word. You can go anywhere you want with it. Okay. Um, what's some of your biggest surprises that you're seeing or some of the yeah. things that excite you? You know, Todd, I, I think that this is probably one of the most exciting times uh, since I've been been part of the industry. Uh, I liken it back to the birth of bag salads, actually. Yeah. Uh, until that happened, uh, we were pretty much, you know, had lettuce, you know, cello wrapped in the retail section. But when Ready Pack and Fresh Express and Taylor and Dole and some of them started coming out with salads in a bag, uh, it launched a whole new industry sector. And look at where we are today, the fresh cut, fresh processing uh, arena. I think the greenhouse movement, uh, both the uh, high tech uh, traditional greenhouse, but the vertical farms, you know, we're in that early days as well. Uh, It's exciting to see uh, new money coming in, investment coming in. Uh, there are reasons why I think you know we're at that juxtaposition. You know the cost of transportation. Uh, again, going three thousand miles versus having a a farm next to the retail distribution center, and that perhaps actually helps with our quality control question of having longer shelf life, better quality to the consumer. You know, you take it from your farm across the street to the DC. Uh, maybe that works. Now. I don't see the greenhouse revolution as it is today overtaking field grown. You know, there's just not the quantity possible, Uh, but it fills a niche. Uh, It's an option and uh, it's kind of fun to to watch and see how it grows. Oh, there's no doubt. And, you know, innovation is a part of growing, right? I mean, it's, you know, you draft horse to tractor to combine to all these other things, right? It's just a part of it. But you're right. Um, Dirt's not going anywhere. We know that. I think this is an alternative to put food into a food desert. I mean, I, you know, I always use the example all the time. Pretty nice to be in Dubai and have fresh lettuce, right? I mean, I've been there. I've toured around the stores. I know what it looks like. God love them. A lot of products from Alyssa's on the shelf, I, you know, and, and it's, it's, you know, traveling from Los Angeles to Dubai as opposed to, you know, getting in a truck and going, you know, 50 miles away. It's a big difference. Um, 
it is going to change. I mean, you know, and I think we, we, we've talked about this in the past. You know, as I say, there's going to be a thinning of the herd. There's going to be consolidations. There's going to be bankruptcies. There's going to be changes. What, you know, of all the things that are out there, I guess, in, in this space, what, what's the one that you think is, is the coolest one that you've come across? Is it some of the robots, some of the drones, yeah. the, the vertical guys? So, you know, vertical is certainly exciting to see. Yeah. It looks so different. Um, I think that whole, the whole growth in that sector of controlled environment, agriculture, that probably has the biggest impact, uh, at least in a couple commodities, uh, small leafy greens. So I think you're going to see herbs, uh, small leafy greens, that may be become dominant in that greenhouse uh, world. Uh, yeah. You're not going to do uh, iceberg and, and big romaine, I don't think. Uh, it's kind of exciting to see strawberries coming forward. Mm -hmm. uh, to, to be able to grow strawberries year round indoors. And, and that's certainly happening now. You know, the area I haven't touched on, but probably should in ag tech is really what's happening back at the farm level in terms of um, harvesting mechanization, uh, which is really driven by the labor shortage. Correct. Uh, but huge investment now in uh, mechanical harvesting, robot pickers, going down the aisle, picking apples off the tree, um, automatic loading, you're going to see more and more of that as well as it becomes price competitive uh, with the high cost of labor. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think you're right. You, you are seeing more and more items coming into these facilities. To your point, berries are going to be you know exciting. There's some guys doing melons now out of some of these facilities. Um, leafy greens is a challenge for everybody because it's, it's a tough category to begin with. Um, but it, you know, it's everybody's got it. So they are looking at this diversification. So I think that's going to change models and people doing multiple things. I mean, there's guys that are doing, you know, aquaponic projects and some of these other things that are really doing some dominant work out there. That's really impressive to watch and see. Um, you know, I have to say something though, you mentioned, you know, talking about the salad industry. And I can remember back in my stone age when earthbound who really got the ball rolling, I can remember when Drew Goodman walked into our office with the very first bag they ever put up. Back in the days when they were doing, you know, these are washer and dryer back in the old days, yep. right? But they came in with that very first bag that that I believe Myra drew with that header on the top. It was, you know, I think about that now. I was like, holy crap, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and people laughed at them and said, that'll never oh, work. for sure, hundred percent. And look where we are. You know, so oh. innovation has has been a key to our industry forever. Uh, one of the things I, I, I like to play historian at times, uh, United Fresh Fruit and Vegetable had our 100th anniversary in 2004. Wow. Uh, so actually, the trade association started in 1904, and yeah. we had a pretty good set of history and documentation, but we, uh, we did a video that um, kind of celebrated that 100-year anniversary. And it's amazing. You can see the innovation at every stage from the horse and buggy uh, to the innovation of interstate transportation, uh, which allowed the growth of retail uh, distribution, direct buying from retail. I mean, so many things have changed this industry throughout the years. I, I think innovators will continue to drive us forward. Thanks for joining the Todd Versation. And now a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Abby Pryor, Chief Commercial Officer at Bright Farms. On behalf of all the bright farmers across our great country, thanks for listening to Toddversations and Toddbits. At Bright Farms, we care about the health of our planet and its people. Our mission is to give more people access to the freshest, tastiest, cleanest, and most responsibly grown salads available. We grow our salads by harnessing the power of the sun in our advanced greenhouses located close to your grocery stores. 
Our salads are delivered in as little as 24 hours after harvest, so every Bright Farm salad you buy is fresh, tasty, and sustainably grown. It's a big job looking out for the health of the people on the planet, but we're up for it. So give one of our Bright Farm salads a try today and become a part of our Bright Farms family. Thanks so much. Well, 100%. I mean, it's all a part of it, right? And, and, and there's that, it's always a challenge when innovation comes, right? I, I you know, it, the, I'm sure the payphone guys feel the same way about the cell phone guys, Yeah. right? Yeah. But you're right. You think about, you think about the days back when, you know, you were loading with block ice to keep yeah. stuff cold. I mean, iceberg, I mean, what, why is, why is it called iceberg? Because you iced it, right? Because you iced it, right? I mean, it's crazy when you look back at the things. Then you think about the food safety aspect today, like none of that would have, I mean, in today's world, people are like, uh-uh. Can't do it. So you're right. Innovation is going to be an interesting thing to watch. We have to have our eyes open. We need to be mindful of it. We need to be respectful of it. We need to be concerned about some of it because not all of it's great. Some of it's a little scary that some of the things are doing out there. And we need to be, you know, a part of the conversation as we go. But you're right. I think it's going to be really interesting to see where this goes, especially in the next 24 months. I think it's going to be a real tell to see how these guys are pulling off. Because again, it's a lot of money. It's billions and billions of dollars. Now it's, it's not chump change anymore for these guys. You're right. Yeah. You know, you mentioned something that I'd like to get into a little bit. Um, and you talked about ag labor. And I'd like to, if you wouldn't mind, I know that that's something you've dealt with a lot um, and a part of. Give us a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, maybe just kind of what's up on the ag labor front right now. You know, Todd, you asked me earlier about uh, what, what, what I was most proud of. If you ask me what I found most frustrating in my career, it's this issue. Uh, for 30 years, we've been trying to get the Congress to pass a new immigration law. Um, you know, our industry has faced declining labor throughout that entire time. There, there are two issues that we've worked toward but have not yet accomplished. Uh, securing uh, a legal status for those immigrants who are already here. Uh, they're harvesting vegetables, they're packing vegetables. They, they are the key lifeblood to feeding America our products. And yet, you know, they crossed the border 20, 30 years ago, you know, without authorization. Are we going to round them up, lock them up, send them back today? No, it doesn't make any sense. But politically, we haven't been able to get a strong legal status. Part two of that is even those people are aging out. So I think I read the other day the average age of a uh, field worker in California is like 46, 47 years old. Wow. Wow. And you think about bending over, picking strawberries, doing some of that hard labor. You know, we don't have the influx of young people the way we used to. The border is closed, in effect, um, whatever people think. But it's very hard to find any new labor coming in. So we have to have a new legal guest worker program. You know, some of my friends in the more conservative side of the, the world, you know, I tell them, you're not against immigration. You want legal immigration. Mm -hmm. You want to check out and make sure that the people who are coming are, are qualified. They're not, you know, breaking out of jail, whatever. But um, that's the way you do it. You put in a guest worker program. We have one today. It's called the H-2A program that right. continues to grow. It, we're up to 300,000 workers a year now in that program. But it is very stifling. It's very hard for farmers to uh, use that program. It's very costly. Doesn't work well for the workers. Mm -mm. Again, Todd, my frustration is every time you start getting close to a solution, either the Republicans go one way or the Democrats go another way, and it just becomes, you know, this political fight instead of what's right. And 
you know, having spent my career in Washington, D.C. and working through public policy, you know, it's got to be the most frustrating uh, area I've dealt with. Well, I, you know, I, you take a look at what's going on in the world today politically. I, you know, it's, it doesn't always appear that we are solution driven. No. Right. We're agenda driven. We're power driven. We're, you know, soundbite driven. But we're not trying to come up with solutions to some very basic problems that we face in this country. And like, there's a lot of them. Don't get me wrong. But you're right. The, the issue of the border, um, having workers, um, propelling our business forward is something that I, it's been in part of my entire career with no. I mean, it's at the point now. It's just like, you know, let's come up with something. You know, <laughs> I would rather see him come up with something and let the produce industry adjust than yeah. the situation we have today. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a shame. I. You know, Canada has got a really good guest worker program uh, mm -hmm. up in the Leamington area where majority of the greenhouses are. They right. have a huge influx of uh, temporary workers from Mexico that come in. Uh, actually, as many workers come in as visitors as people who live there. Um, but, you know, I always said, you know, as they're flying from Mexico across the United States to land in Canada, God forbid they parachute out, you know. And our U.S. Congress people, they know we have a problem. But again, it's don't let the other guy win. Don't let the other guy have a talking point before the next election. Uh, there are still members of Congress who do look for solutions. Uh, mm -hmm. Sadly, there are a lot fewer than there used to be. Used to be. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think if anything, it's interesting because, I, you know, I, I think about what you just said and I kind of reflect on my own thoughts about the power of social media, the power of the news today, the power of, you know, Back when I was back in the day, you had ABC, NBC, CBS. That was it. They all said the same thing. There was a fire. Here's what happened. Right now, you've got every angle up, down, left, right, whatever you want to be coming at you with information. It's become a lot harder now, I think, for people to discern fact from fiction, um, spin from non-spin and all these other things. And, I, and that's very concerning um, when you have these issues like this, because these are really, you know, Everything I think we've talked about today, from consumption to you know how we're going to do, these are all issues that need to just yeah, be they honest, be open, left or right or Republican. No, or Democrat. Um, you know the other thing on the media that that I find really troubling is people also learn to gravitate toward views they agree with. So yeah. you know if you're very conservative, you watch Fox News and and that is your channel, so you believe everything you get. If you're very liberal, you watch MSNBC. And, and all you get is that point of view. Right. We don't have any kind of balance coming in. We're just reinforcing our own stereotypes, our own beliefs. And um, again, that doesn't push you toward compromise. Well, look, I, I, you're right. And I think it's become very tribal, right? You have to be in the right group. If you're not in the right group, you're in the wrong group. Therefore, you need to go away, right? And I think that's so dangerous when we have these issues about food and 50% of the babies born in the United States, day one, insecure, you know, borders, consumption, health, all these things, you know, we are a tribe. We're a tribe on this planet, right? We're on a roll. We're on a rock floating. I mean, if you don't want to think that this is a big deal, you know, go on Google maps or Google earth and then just pan out and realize that we're in the, we're literally the tip of a pin in a massive world yeah. and we don't act like it. And I think that, I, you know, I think we disrespect ourselves as, as, a, as, a, as a country so much by not tackling these issues head on, like you're talking about. Yeah. I appreciate your candor on that. I really do. It's such a tough subject. You know, so give me a little bit about what's next for, for you. What's going on? What, what's, what's in the future? Give me a little bit. What's the tidbit? Yeah, you know? I guess, uh, you know, the, the thing I'm most passionate about is nutrition, really, uh, mm -hmm. for kids. Uh, 
I serve on a, a group called the Bipartisan Policy Council. So having just, you know, reigned all over Washington that it's so partisan, we actually have a group. It was formed by some Republican and Democratic senators after they retired from office, uh, a Bipartisan Policy Center. I'm on a nutrition task force with them that's looking at uh, nutrition policy, school lunches, uh, the SNAP program. So I'm going to continue serving on that. Uh, you know, it's a nonprofit type thing, but I really want to continue to make a difference there. That That's important to me. And then, like I said at the beginning, that um, finding companies, finding associations that need help, uh, that's a good fit for me. Yeah. Uh, I teased somebody the other day that, you know, I kind of want to cut back a little bit. So uh, I'm not going to work the 80 hours a week anymore. I'm going to cut back to 40. Um, so part time. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but but nonetheless, uh, I, I want to serve this industry. You know, it's it's fed me uh, literally, figuratively, financially. My family. We've raised five kids. My youngest just finished her first year of college. You know, so for me, it's it's giving back. Um, so it's not about making a lot of money in a, as a consultant. It's what can I do, you know, to help this industry? Well, you know what? I, I, having done this now, this is, you know, a couple months into year seven. Um, when you find something to do that touches your heart, what you can do for your clients at that point is unstoppable, right? So if you find something that tickles your passion and you've got people that are like-minded and you want to win the day, I'll tell you what, it's a, it's a force to be reckoned with, right? Because you've got that runway and you've got that support behind you. It's, it's, that's awesome. I'm proud of you. I think it's I'm great. impressed, Todd, with what you've been able to do. I mean, we worked together back when you were in companies and, uh, you know, it, it's exciting to see what you've been able to put together, you know, here on your own. And uh, again, making an impact for our industry. Yeah, well, it is. It's so important. And I think of these conversations like we're having today are so important. People need to be informed. We need to recognize that we have we have a lot of power in the produce, for, you know, in the produce business. We have more. I think we have more power than we think we do. And if we were collective minded and we can come together and start to harness that to get some of these problems solved. I mean, you know, again, I said earlier, you get a thousand people talking about blueberries. You get a thousand people in this industry, all united, talking about labor at the same time, you know, getting on the hill, doing what it takes. Maybe we can make a change. Right. But you, so that, you just that's can't. a great message. You know, get involved. I mean, one thing about produce, it, it's so busy every day. <laughs> it's sort of like crisis 24 seven. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes companies and, and the employees, even the top management don't take the time to get involved politically, uh, to call their congressman. But it's mm -hmm. important. Uh, it's setting that whole business uh, platform for how we operate. So if mm -hmm. you don't like something in regulation or you don't feel like we're getting treated well on agricultural labor, or you want to change nutrition policy, get involved, you know, take mm -hmm. some time out of your day. Yeah, I know it's hard, but uh, that would be my message to uh, everybody is find a way to get involved. I think people get intimidated sometimes. I think people yeah. don't, you know, I mean, look, I, one of the, one of the things that I absolutely love and I've got one of the biggest kicks out of my career is walking around the halls of DC, talking to people about fruits and vegetables yeah. because they want to know they're interested in listening. Yeah. Right. And whether whether it's left, right, up, down, again, it doesn't matter what side, but they want to listen. They want to learn. They want to know what the world's like. And the only way that you're going to make change is by being involved in change. So your message is well, well received by me. Get involved, people. That's the number one thing yeah. to win the day. And I'll say it again. I'm going to say because I think people need to hear it. Fifty percent of the babies born food insecure day one. Can't tell me that doesn't affect you. A little desire to get involved. You know, you got it. Well, I got to tell you, my friend. This has been, as I told you, an honor and a pleasure. I, I, what a great conversation. We stirred the pot up a little bit. We got people thinking, which is what I was hoping for. 
um, I, I just, you know, I said, I'm a fanboy. I'm super proud to, uh, to stand in the shadow and walk behind you a little bit in these, some of these hallways and being a part and watching your career. Um, you have given so much to this industry and I know it feeds you back, but you've done a hell of a lot for folks. And, and, and I appreciate you hanging out with me today. Well, thank you, Todd. It's been great uh, being with you. Uh, hopefully we stimulated a little action out there. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave my, my last comment is yeah. uh, I share something with you very personal, and that's optimism. Uh, I can continue to be an optimist, even though I get frustrated sometimes. But uh, this industry has so much to offer. Uh, so make it better a little bit every day and uh, serve consumers a little better every day and increase our quality a little better every day, uh, we're going to do just fine. I agree. I open invitation to come back. Let's, let's do this again. Let's talk about what's going on. Let's give people an update and let's keep people involved. Super. I'm, Thanks, I love to do it. Everybody, I told you, if you knew, you knew. And if you didn't, you do now. What an amazing individual and what an honor to have him hang out with us on this, on this show and, and celebration of our uh, one year and 100 plus show now. Um, Thanks, Tom. I really appreciate you. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Remember, go inspire somebody today. That's what this platform is about, and this conversation can certainly have done that for you. If I can't find you a little bit of inspiration for what Tom shared with you today, I don't know how to help you. Give me a call. We'll try some CPR. I don't know. Maybe you need a Red Bull. I don't even know what the hell to do for you. But there's enough been said today in this conversation the past 45 minutes that you can get involved in some way and touch your own heart and touch the heart of somebody else who doesn't even know exists on this planet today, but you will make a difference. So step up, everybody, get involved. It's incredibly important. Thanks for listening. Check us out on social media. Um, we love you guys. We appreciate you. Keep the comments coming. Keep loving on us. And we're going to keep putting out content to make you smile and get you inspired. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon.